0: to Nerdium, where we take things to the point of nerdness. I'm your host, Patrick Salerno, and today with me, my co-host, is my fellow producer and longtime friend, Will Roach. How are you doing today? to be today? here,
1: Patrick. Glad to be here.
0: It's good to have you, my man. So let's talk about Adnerdium. Welcome to this new podcast, everybody. Nerdium is a podcast where we take nerd culture, philosophy, and society, and we put it all together. Each week, we'll bring on a new guest host, and we'll take a particular topic in really any fandom, any aspect of nerd culture, whether that's cosplay or Star Wars, which we will be talking about today, um, and we analyze it and talk about it from a perspective that I think is unique, different, um, something that you, you really don't hear everywhere else, and something that hopefully, at the end... Will make you think about the things you love in a new way. Um, so, Will, do you want to tell us about today's topic?
1: So today we're going to be talking about uh, the Clone Wars from the Clone Wars, and more specifically, the Clone Troopers from Star Wars, uh, and diving into that and thinking about how that connects to identity and what can we can pull from that in terms of determining identity and. Uh, subverting identity if you need to.
0: I think the clones themselves have a wonderful... um, It's a wonderful way to look at identity and look at personhood, um, specifically because of how much time and care was put into trying to find the individual characters for the narratives, particularly in the Clone Wars. Um, And the way that I think we look at, at the idea of clones in general, as a concept, and their lack of personhood because they were created uh, versus how we can see them in these characters. Um, So, Will, let's start with you. Uh, What questions do you have? What's pondering on your mind?
1: The main question that really comes to mind when I think of the clones and identity, uh, the first one that really comes to mind is the act of that these individuals are of the same person and are only given, like, a number in in terms to identify themselves with. And a lot of these individuals take that or take aspects of themselves and craft mo- a more conventional name. And I think that idea of naming yourself is something we don't really get too often in society. Um, it started to become more of a more of a prominent aspect as um, a lot of people who are uh, transgender or uh, gender neutral and exploring that space uh, think and kind of rethink what they have been called their entire lives and start to form for themselves a name that kind of fits their identity better. And I think exploring the clones can really give us an insight into how that works, not only for people who are, uh, like, experiencing, uh, exploring their gender identity, but just in general. So, do you have any thoughts on that, Patrick? I mean, I think
0: that that is a fascinating point, and one that I I really didn't consider at all. Um, You know, I'm thinking back to the episode uh, Rookies, And that group, you know, fives, echo, heavy, and you, you see with all of them that the names have some sort of significant experience that defines them, as you say, like as individuals, as something where they felt that that moment of their lives was unique enough that it was worthy of their name. I'm thinking of uh, Cutup in particular. Um, and I'm trying to look for the episode specifically where he figures out his name. It was in the training on Kamino, um, where his whole squad, Domino Squad, uh, was the name of the episode, I believe, um, was trying to go through these trials. And they were the underdogs. They weren't working well together. Uh, they didn't mesh. They didn't know how each individual of the team could work together to solve these problems and defeat the challenges. Um, and it was only after, you know, one of the drill instructors berated and abused cut up, that in that defamation and in that kind of pain and embarrassment and ridicule, did he find that name. And it was that instructor that called him a cut-up, and he was like, you know what, thank you. You've defined, I have defined myself through your words, Um, and became, from then on, cut-up. So I think you're right that the idea of the name itself and that changing of the name um, can play a, a very big role culturally in how we look at identity.
1: Yeah, and I think there's a lot tied up in a name. Um, and there's even some that have nothing to do with... Uh, like you said with Cut Up, there's some that have nothing to do with any like physical attribute or the number they were given. Um, like uh, Rex, that has little to do with his actual number or uh, any physical attribute about him. It kind of more is reminiscent of his leadership style. And how he's able to uh, take command on the battlefield as that, like, since Rex brings forth that imagery of, like, king, leader, uh, the person who will lead us through something. And he takes on that role very, very seriously. Um, And I think that idea of your name can come from your experiences your abilities, and who you feel you can be is very powerful, um, and it helps anchor the identity to something.
0: Well, I want to I go back a little bit, um, and let's, let's talk about the cloning facilities some more themselves, because I think there's a very interesting facet to them um, that really go- coincides with this idea of identity. You know, they start as in, in incubation pods on the planet Comedo, um all grafted from the same cell DNA, uh, which at, by the end of the Clone Wars, obviously, it's been really stretched and there's these malfunctions, and we'll get into that later. Um, but for now, just in general, right? The clones, by the time they're like eight, you know, they're out of their incubation pods. And they're starting their education, which is indoctrination. But when you, especially when you look at the the Clone Wars episodes in particular, uh, I'm thinking of the ones surrounding uh, young Boba Fett, um, in which he pretends to be a normal clone. um, And you see the younger clones already, by the time they're like eight, maybe 12, like it's kind of hard to tell how old they actually are, have unique haircuts and have already kind of started to fill what seems to be, and I, I, it's kind of hard to tell, a certain subset of, for lack of a better word, stereotypes, um, and filling in these niches within an individual squadron. Um, and so, you know, Boba comes in with his long hair, but that doesn't really make any difference, because, you know, some of them already have bald and bleached hair, just like Rex, and they're like nine. Um, some have the regular crew cuts. Um, some even have the l- even longer cuts already. Um, and uh, it's specifically in uh, the episode uh, Death Trap. Uh, season 2, episode 20. He's already interacting with these other clones. There's already a social sphere. There's already bullying. Um, and so when you talk about personhood and you talk about this idea of clones and how similar they are. Um, One of the things that I think Star Wars does really well, especially in the Clone Wars, is showing how genetics isn't really the only factor. And that, you know, the clone isn't going to be identical to you because there is life experience that matters as well. You know, what makes you up is, and I think what the Clone Wars kind of show, is your memory and your experience. You know, Boba Fett is an unaltered clone. He doesn't have any of those special whatever inhibitors and behavioral kind of augmentations that the other clones are said to have. Um, So he himself is a clone. But his own tragedy and his own sorrow lead him on an entirely unique path. Um, And, you know, if his father was still alive, you know, and uh, he was able to live a normal life, he would have become a much different person. And person is the word to use, I would say.
1: Yeah, going off of your point about them being so similar, but still individual and different, I think that in the basically incubation chamber of Camino, um, where these clones grow up at an accelerated rate um, and are in close proximity with people who are genetically identical to them, I think that all of the similarities end up becoming just a context and the minor differences start to poke out and become more prominent because it's in this landscape of this is all the same. Oh, he's doing that. That's different. That's something he's unique for because not all of us can do that. It, whether it's someone who shows, uh, technical prowess or whether it's having a Mohawk instead of uh, a crew cut, like the, those differences I think are things we encounter in our own life. But since we're not as identical as, uh, as the clones are, um, it's a lot easier to latch on to differences in young age when you're trying to forming that identity, um, especially in terms of, like, oh, he's shorter. Oh, oh, they are heavier. Uh, Oh, they don't run as fast as everyone else. The differences between these clones are so minute, but to them they seem astronomical because their entire, like, growing lives, they have seen nothing but people who look almost exactly like them except for the small things they can notice. and then these huge aliens with long necks that sit in weird chairs. Uh, and I think that's poignant and how like even in the very similar very similar environment, those differences always get always poke out, always end up showing themselves in some way.
0: I think that's a really good quote about differences being expressed or seen through the context of similarities. Um, I think when you look at identity uh, in a cultural way and you look at how society kind of sets up your identity, um, you see that there's a multitude of layers um, that are all based on judging similarities and differences with each other. Um, I'm thinking in particular, you know, if you're in school, Um, You have that commonality with everyone in the school, but then within that environment, there is all of the different stereotypes and all of the different cliques in which you can kind of form your identity um, and be judged on it. But then all of those people in a context with those who are more different, let's say from another school, the identity changes and shifts within that cultural context. Within one context, you know, an individual clone is expressing some part of their identity. But in another, they are expressing an entirely different aspect of that same
1: identity. One thing I wanted to latch on to there is that came up in my mind is we also have to remember that a lot of our identity as people when we are growing up comes from those around us and the parental figures or adult figures that are that we take cues from um and these clones have nothing but those around them uh there's no like set they're not put in like family settings where like a clone raises a different clone to how to be a, to how to be a clone you basically only have those who are training you and The automated processes that feed you. Um, You don't have many things to draw off of except for the communal things that are agreed on and given to you. Um, You don't have the nurturing of a parent. You don't have the uh, experience of a uh, non-educational adult. You just have the education, the training, the drilling, and that's all you get in terms of formative experiences.
0: I think that's interesting because we're not really talking then much about cloning as how it affects mm-hmm. identity. And in that way, then the clones, at least from what you're positing, have a similar sense of individuality and personhood that the Jedi do. All, everything that you mentioned, there is no real paternal figure. Um, you are, you know... And I'm, I'm looking back to Legends now. I don't really know how much the Jedi training has changed in the new canon. But these Jedi are, you know, they're taken as infants and the Jedi start doing training on them. They are doing the mind kind of, for lack of a better word, pulling from Star Trek a, a mind belt um, and purging the negative emotions and feelings from these infants then they're trained in basically communes of classes um their entire childhood until they're about 12 or 13 and it is only at that point that they're finally given a potential opportunity for a mentor when we're talking about you know maybe anakin being anakin and obi-wan being like the father figures for ahsoka um it's really not not really super it's like if you meet your father when you're 13 you know, for the first time, and you've never really had parents before. Um, And if that's the way that we're going to define identity and personhood from this aspect of purely nothing to do with, again, the cloning process, the question needs to be begged is, like, who actually has a more concrete identity, the individual clones or the Jedi? Because the clones are allowed to feel, even though they are suppressed in some ways. Um, we see the clones laughing. They, they're still kind of joking around. They're going to pubs, you know. Um, and they're doing all of these social things, which the Jedi are denied. The clones are given an opportunity to express their emotions, whether that's through the rage of battle or or through, you know, going to a clone bar on Coruscant to, you know, uh, drink the stresses away with the boys. Um, They're doing that. The Jedi meditate and purge the emotions. Yet when we think of individuals, especially when we look at the series, we see the very striking costumes and color palettes of all of the different Jedi. You know, looking at... Them And we see that visual display of difference as unique identity. Whereas, even though they're all wearing the same helmets, and the armor and the coloring is very similar, the clones, arguably, according to the tenets of each organization, the clones and the Jedi, have the ability to express a lot more individuality than the
1: Jedi. That's an interesting point, tying your personhood and your personality to individuality, and I think that's a fair connection because we we define who we are and what makes us different by what makes us an individual. What makes us, um, we we tend to figure out who we are by saying what we aren't in compared in comparison to other people, Um, and I think the emotional availability of the uh of the clones compared to the jedi is a strong point for the jedi having genetic identity with air quotes of course um but the clones having more emotional identity and that's that's something interesting
0: when you look at it i mean both both Jedi and clones are mentally conditioned before they're able to consciously make choices. Um, you know, the Jedi, it is with the, the mind melding with the infants, with the clones, it's in their incubation stage. Um, so they both go through a very similar process of cognitive
1: conditioning. To be honest, the more we talk about this cognitive conditioning makes me, the more I'm starting to think, are the Jedi really the good guys? This is this is this is seeming some like some interesting. I stuff. mean, as you know, we
0: empathize with them. They're the characters that we know and we love, uh, and it's the same thing with the clones. I think that really shows identity from a bystander side point is the ability to empathize. That I can look at Rex. I can look at Fives. I mean, I basically cried. Spoiler alert for everybody who hasn't seen it. You know. In the fifth season, when Fives dies, you know, like that was a heart wrenching moment. Um, and for most of it, you know, he had the standard haircut. He didn't have too many uh, accoutrements to his armor. He was just there. Um, and I think what did it too, kind of going off, uh, going into this tangent and leading it into more, is that those series of episodes. Uh, You know, in the later half of season five, with the episodes The Unknown, Conspiracy, Fugitive, and Orders, Fives is almost raging against the perception of his sameness. He, in these episodes, is refusing to submit to the mentality of his creators. The Kaminoans are very much looking at these at these people, and I think it's safe for both of us to call these guys people. We identify with them. We sympathize with them. We empathize with them. You know, but they're known as property. They're property of the Republic. So the Kaminoans are very ready to just kill the clones for research and testing. And Fives rages against the fact that he is not given this status. And he breaks all of the rules and becomes, you know, a fugitive to attempt to not only show the innocence of his friend, but in a deeper way, prove his personhood to even the Jedi, who are while they have while they're presented as being better, especially in this arc, Shocked T is seen more as the sympathetic voice she still is emotionally detached, as all Jedi are, of course, but in a way that aids his suppression. And so I think Fives is a, is a wonderful example of the cloning aspect of this and how it relates to identity, especially in his last arc, um, but also more broadly with, um, with the clones being able to like, express themselves. Um, side note, I forget where we were starting with this tangent. (laughs) Do you
1: remember? We were talking about, um, how individual, individuality is a key aspect of personhood and, uh, like, and, uh, identity.
0: Okay. And so going back to that, you know, this, this rage, this, refusal to give in to what he is labeled as creates this character who we intrinsically empathize with and i think it is through that empathy that we really see the the personhood and the identity of these people um there is one more thing i want to i want to shift gears to and it's on this sa- on the same vein of clones and cloning, is one of the one of the interesting things about um, the clones was when they were first talked about. You know, in the the first Star Wars, you know, they were just a passing footnote that uh, Ben Kenobi mentions very briefly, um, and George Lucas, if I remember the story correctly, refused to allow other people to write about the clones. That that was something he had wanted to tackle and that he was going to tackle later. So all of the side comics and books that were produced, they were told really not to discuss this and that The Clone Wars is off-limits. However, in the few references that do exist in that old, old legend stories from, you know, the, the late 70s and the 80s, they're the bad guys. They are unequivocally the bad guys they are these evil beings of sameness and in a way they are what we see the stormtroopers as and what we see them become in order 66 but the presentation of these people from just the i from just their name the clone wars it is assumed that because they are made to be the same that they were going to be the bad guys and that those acer pilots the father of luke skywalker um were were the good guys fighting against them
1: Hmm. that that reflex of hearing clone oh that must be bad guy i think that taps into the idea of uh non-conformity being the more freeing option uh Going back to, uh, going back to like 1800s thinkers, I'm forgetting who at the moment, but I think it, uh, like Emerson, uh, Thoreau, those kind of thinkers who were like, be your own person, and that is what makes you valuable. It's interesting that the idea that was originally thought of as, oh, they're clones, they're all the same, that must mean they're bad because these Jedi are fighting as individuals. It's I think there's something there of this of that subversion of that idea where the clones are the mirror of uh, what is actually the antagonist of the Clone Wars, which is the droids, uh, in the fact that they are both made, Uh, made identically uh, and programmed in a certain way, uh, but where the droids are running off of mechanics and, and metal and programming, the clones have that human aspect to them that gives them an advantage in the terms of being able to think critically and have different ideas about how to do something that goes against any algorithm or, uh, or set uh, subroutine that they may have. And I think what the Clone Wars was able to do was to take that advantage of individ- their individual thoughts are what make them more useful... And expand on that further to make these statements on identity. I,
0: I hear what you're saying, but I'm, I'm going to challenge that a little bit. Um, I'm writing my thesis, actually. For for those of you who don't know, uh, you know this is being run as part of the Radio Free George network. Uh, we're part of Washington College. Uh, most of the guests, hopefully not all of them, though, will probably be students from the college. Um, But my thesis, at least on my philosophy side, is defending the idea that droids uh, and AI more broadly can have free will and have some sort of moral status and moral standing. Um, And my quickest challenge to that, and I know it's not really too much of an argument or philosophical, is the fact that we also empathize with these characters as well. And I think... That what these stories do is it shows, you know, three or four or even five, depending on the episode or the movie, different groups of people who have been conditioned in some way. You know, these are all different kinds of conditioning. The clones were augmented and they even had, albeit organic, but a neural chip. The Jedi was magic. They were magically uh, conditioned. And the droids, yeah, it's, you know, processor units. Um, but we see, especially in the Clone Wars, that we empathize with these characters. They have humor. They have fear. Uh, I'm, I'm remembering um, one of the episodes. It was the, uh, the Ryloth arc in Season 1, I believe. And uh, it's Obi-Wan and... I think it was Waxer and Boyle. Again, Like this is just me going off on memory. But they're in the main droid compound uh, where all the citizens are being held hostage and they're sneaking in through the back. And there's a droid who's on cleaning duty for the animals. Um, and the droid looks up, sees these people uh, after the beasts were killed, I believe. Again, I might be misremembering. And I believe the droid says something along the lines of like, oh no, or not this again. And Obi-Wan force shuts the cage and leaves the droid as a prisoner in the animal pens. But that ability both on the droid to recognize the bad situation, to make the patterns, and to express grief over his lot, or their lot, um, and for Obi-Wan who, by the way, uh, all of the Jedi and clones, like we don't really talk about the fact of how much killing there is, um, but in this instance, he spares the droid. And comically, albeit I think it was for humor more than anything else, closes the door and keeps on going. And we see that time and time again in this series, of the droids screaming, uh, yelping, crying out for help, being, being confused. I mean, what's more real than being confused? You know, I think there's a false sense that, you know, humanity, our brains are perfect. But we mess up all the time. We're confused all the time. Like, the droids, the reason we find them funny is because we find them so relatable. R2-D2 with his cursing. C-3PO with his stuck-up nature. Like, we know people like that. We know people like every one of the droids that we see. Um, looking even to the Mandalorian with the IG unit, um, Queel repairs this droid, spoilers, um, and throughout the episode we follow the main character, the Mandalorian, who has a real prejudice against droids because of the droids in the Clone Wars come to accept admire and need the presence and the company of the ig unit and i think what star wars does so subtly is comment on the conditioning that's in us all and how you know the how d- those differences in conditioning doesn't make us any less of a person and doesn't subtract from our unique
1: identity. I know this is a horrible tangent. That's probably going to go way off if we let it continue, which I don't. I won't. But I think it... Star Wars does have that aspect, and maybe this is a follow-up episode, uh, where it comments on who we think are the bad guys in any situation. Why, when we think we have the moral high ground. Uh... And I think in terms of an external view of how the Republic treats the clones, if we were to view that from any other angle, we would see them as the villains of the story in a sense. Where they are creating life only for it to be thrown onto a battlefield and lost so that their own citizens do not have to lose their life because they value the manufactured life that they are bringing more than they do the... less than they do their own, quote-unquote, natural citizens. Um, And I think what the Clone Wars was able to do with giving these characters identities and having them be fleshed out to the point where we could see the clone in normal clothes we could have five different clones that you spent time with lined up next to each other and based on their mannerisms and how they act in any certain situation you could go rex fives echo and you could line name them all you could you could pick them out and i think for anything that doesn't have identity and doesn't have personhood you would not be able to do so.
0: Well, I think it's all connected and to kind of tie it back to all of our tangents and back to really society and how we can look at it. You know, when when you choose to recognize the identity of someone, when you give them that recognition. And as we mentioned earlier, especially with the names, you know, when you're willing to meet them on their level and recognize the individual identity By consequence of that, you are acknowledging their personhood and granting their moral status within whatever society or framework you're in.
1: I think I couldn't have said it better myself.
0: Well, I appreciate that. And I think that will be it for today, for episode one of Ad Nerdium. Uh, If you enjoyed this, please consider uh, subscribing to us. You can find us pretty much anywhere where podcasts are found. um, At Adnerdium or at Adnerdium Podcast.
1: That is A-D-N-E-R-D-I-U-M. The A and the N are capitalized, but you'll probably find it without them.
0: Indeed. Uh, Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, Thank you, Will, for being a part of this, for being my first guest and co-host.
1: I couldn't be any more honored.
0: So to all the listeners out there, thank you guys so much. Uh, This is Patrick. And this is Will. Signing off. Live long and prosper. Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this episode of Ad Nerdium, brought to you by Radio Free George. Please tune in every week for a brand new episode where we bring on new guests and discuss exciting topics in nerd culture and society. At the end of every month, come chill out with us on The Stasis Chamber, a special episode where we and our guests comment on the topics of the last month. Have topics you think we should explore? Email us at at atnerdiumpod at gmail.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at, at Podcast, and subscribe to our podcast channel on Podbean at, at Pod for all of our latest episodes. To check out our archive, be sure to visit us at our SoundCloud at, at Podcast. This is Patrick Salerno, your humble host and friend on this journey, and as always, live long and prosper. <laughs>